Welcome to ServiceNow Tech Bytes, where we help you use the product better. I'm your host, Steve Miller, filling in for Suzanne Smith. Today we'll be talking about configuring the ServiceNow Express platform with product manager Darius Kumari. Coming up, initial configuration, incident management, the service catalog, asset and configuration management, and reporting. Stay tuned. Joining us today is Darius Kumari, Product Manager for the ServiceNow Express platform. Recently, Darius played a big role in producing a new series of videos on the Express support site to help system administrators configure the Express system for their company. You may also know Darius from his Express vlogs on the Now Support YouTube channel or his blogs on the Express site. Darius, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Like, what do you do here at ServiceNow? Absolutely, Steve. Pleasure to be back here on your show. So as mentioned, I'm a product manager focusing on the whole ITSM portfolio. So applications like incident, problem, change, the service catalog, really I'd say your core ITIL processes. So what I enjoy doing is combining that line between what our customers are looking for in the product, either from features it does do or doesn't do, and we need to get into the platform, and understanding from our development team exactly what efforts need to go into getting that into our tool. So another flip side of that, however, is a larger conversation that we're having today, which is now that we've got these features into the tool, now that we have all this nice new functionality built, how do we make sure our customers are aware and exposed to a lot of these great things we're doing? So that's why I'm glad to be here today. And we're going to be talking about a lot of those core topics. Okay, great. Well, so to begin, can you tell us about the new Express videos and the documentation layout? Like, why did you decide to make them, and how will they help customers? Absolutely, Steve. So I've been here with ServiceNow for around two and a half to three years. So when I started, as I mentioned, you have all these tools, you have the documentation in front of you, but your mind hasn't yet made that connection between what a record producer is, so this term that ServiceNow uses, and what the end goal that you're trying to do is. In this example, creating a record in your system but from a end user facing, you know, portal interface. So this video suite that we've put together is a really that great tool that merges those two concepts. It teaches you as the customer what the keywords are that we're using here in ServiceNow while also providing you with the functional experience of how it actually applies in the platform. Okay, well, that sounds good. And as you implied, um, the, the process of configuring the Express platform is a pretty big one. And happily, the videos break it down into nice little pieces for users. And the first piece is initial configuration. That's about how to set up your instance, right? That's exactly correct, Steve. So initial configuration is one of the first things you want to do when you acquire your ServiceNow Express instance as an administrator. So let me give you an example of that. One example is the branding. A lot of organizations, they keep our default provided ServiceNow Express logo in the upper left of their instance with the same default color scheme. But really, if you go into your application navigator as an admin, you head to system configuration, it's really easy to upload your own image in terms of the logo you'd like to use and also the color branding of how your instance is actually skinned. Now, a second piece that ties into that is also in terms of the welcome content. So we cover this in the one of the videos that we've outlined, but what the welcome content is, it's before the user actually logs in. When they're at that login screen, 
what information is provided there. And I've seen some really neat deployments of customers putting all kinds of internal links in there or maybe additional contact information. Maybe they'd like an extra link for, hey, this is your time card login or so on. And it just consumerizes, again, that experience. And it's quick to implement. It's one of the first things you get started doing, and it only takes a few clicks. All right, another set of videos is the incident management. What is incident management? And what are some best practices for getting started with that? So incident management, and this is where we tie back into this whole ITIL uh, concept. Incident management is really your core if you're coming from a non-ITIL kind of verbiage or environment. It's your basic ticket tracking is what we think about it. So organizations coming to ServiceNow, most likely your number one use case you're looking to implement is having a way for your technicians, in many cases in IT context, to track the work they're doing or the tickets that they receive. So here in ServiceNow, we call them incidents. And as we'll go in later and as you watch a lot of these videos, you'll see that this incident concept is directly tied to a greater problem and change process flow that ITIL outlines as a best practice or recommendation. So when we talk about some of these incident management configurations and best practices that I've seen a lot of customers do that we haven't yet explicitly called out, one of those is tracking your contact type. So as we know, ServiceNow Express included, it uses an end-user self-service portal on top of email as a channel, on top of, you know, maybe it's you're using the actual client on a tablet or on a desktop. It's an omni-channel kind of interface. So you want to be able to track what channel your end-users are using to submit those incidents so that you can help make sure your user behavior is proper. Because at the end of the day, we really want to push users to using self-service as opposed to email. And the benefits have been highly researched. It's very clear that there's a reduced cost due to the automated routing and the guaranteed influence of adding information when you use self-service in a record producer as opposed to if someone's just arbitrarily emailing in random text into the help desk. So what that lets us do at the end of the day is we track where it comes from. So this contact type field that we have default provisioned in the instance on the incident table, for example, that lets you define where's this incident being created from. And there's three simple places you define that. A, on an inbound email action, so when you're taking emails in, you're gonna wanna make sure that you set in the templates of the fields, contact type to email. On your record producers that exist in self-service, you'd also like to set in the template contact type to self-service. And then finally, the system by default, when a technician presses create new from their interface as a fulfiller, they'll set the contact type by default to caller, assuming that someone has, you know, picked up the phone, called the help desk, and they're basically typing in the details that they picked up from that call. Now, as a customer, you can, of course, edit that list field or edit that choice field, better said, of contact type to set up whatever those contact points are your organization uses. And again, a lot of concepts we touched on there from inbound email actions to record producers to editing a field, all for this incident management contact type field. The great part is all those features are covered in this information in these videos that we've produced. Do you have any other best practices to suggest for incident management? Definitely, Steve. So with incident management, really the concept of your technicians completing work, getting work assigned to them, and resolving it in the system there's two concepts that I see a lot of customers not investing time in learning, 
that has a lot of return on the experience of the fulfiller and actually the productivity that you're having as an organization using ServiceNow. Those two big concepts are A, UI policies, and B, business rules. So UI policies, as we've covered in one of the other videos, they're basically a way that on the client side, so on the forms that a user brings up, you can dynamically hide, make read-only, or make mandatory fields based off the value of other fields. Let me give you an example of that. So on your incident form, you may have added a resolution or close notes field. Well, those close notes, you're not going to be filling them in unless you're closing the incident. So there's really no point to leave that close note field, a large text field, taking up screen real estate when an incident is work in progress or new. So using these UI policies, you can put in a rule that says, if my state is not you know, work in progress, or better said, if my state is not resolved or not closed, then set the visibility of my close notes field to visible faults, as well as mandatory faults. And the reason you do that is by default in ServiceNow, UI policies have a reverse of true logic, meaning if my state is resolved or if my state is closed, that UI policy will set the visible state of that close notes field to true and it'll make it mandatory true. And that way your fields are only showing up when your users actually need them. Now these UI policies, they go hand in hand with business rules. Business rules in the system, they are not client side, they don't run instantaneously. They run on our server side here in ServiceNow and basically they run on the insert or update of a record. So what that means is when someone presses the submit button or the update button or right clicks and saves a record, it'll trigger in the system any business rule, which has the same if this, then that style logic. And it basically allows for dynamic routing. So you could say, if my configuration item is not empty, meaning a CI is defined, set the assignment group field to be the same as that configuration item's support group, for example. Or maybe you're doing something like a incident urgency priority matrix saying, hey, if my urgency is one, my impact is one, set my priority to one. And one of the great things about some of these best practice rules that I'm bringing up is in our upcoming Istanbul release, your instances of ServiceNow Express, you'll actually find BP UI policies and BP or best practice business rules in that instance set to active equals false. So you can learn from them and if you'd like, set them active equals true to activate that feature in your instance. When people are configuring their instance, what's a good way to avoid problems or unexpected results? Great question, Steve. So since Express, as we know, only has one instance by default, not a sub-production or non-prod as we call it, a lot of times when you're implementing your instance, you're going to be a bit more sensitive, especially after you've gone live, with what those configurations are that you're making. Now, the great part about Express is since it's codeless and point and click, you really can't do a lot of damage to your own instance. You know, if you accidentally delete something, our high support team will easily restore that for you. Now, on top of that, though, with the Istanbul release that is being released, we actually are extending the feature of a non-production instance available to customers for purchase. And what's great about that is now that you have your production and your non-production, you can do implementation and test on the non-production 
prior to doing that same configuration on your production. So that way you, you're guaranteed in the behavior and that you've actually tested it on a non-live environment. Now, because we understand, you know, uh, resources in any organization are very thin, that there's definitely a lot of ways without two instances you can still configure carefully is how I like to put it. And how that's done is really taking advantage of our role-based nature of the system. Let's say you're making a new record producer or a new business rule or a new field or a new, you know, email notification, whatever it could be. In all those cases, you can limit who can see that given item or interact with it to just the admin users. So you can completely build out new functionality, limit it to the admin role, and only the admin can verify it before you open it up to other users. So there's an article on that on our ServiceNow Express support site in the blog section that does cover how to maximize configurations in terms of safety when you're using a one instance model. Okay, next let's talk about the service catalog. Can you explain a little bit about what that is and maybe some inside tips on how to use it better? Ah, uh, yes, the good old service catalog. So the service catalog is really a standardized listing of offerings that your IT organization or other organization is offering those end users of yours. And the great thing about a standardized catalog is you're really limiting the scope in many cases of what you're allowing your users to request. Service catalog really is a heavy on the UI side as well. You know, you want to have a very embracing, you know, welcoming experience for those end users to click into your items, understand what they're getting or what they're not getting, and really understand that by just looking at it, which is why I always recommend to all customers, when you're setting up categories in your catalog, when you're setting up catalog items, record producers, I've seen so many customers that they really just put the text in, the variables of what information they like to take back, and you know, that's it. That's as far as they go. But I've seen other customers that personalize the experience in such an amazing way by taking company branded logos, maybe familiar inside information and so on, and they brand the images, so on. So let me explain that. Let's say in one company, they've got this IT guy, let's call him Bob the IT guy. And everyone in the organization knows Bob the IT guy. Like, oh, I have a problem. Let's go to Bob the IT guy. What they actually did, this customer, is they branded their service catalog so that every item, every category is a picture of this Bob the IT guy in a different context. And it really gives you that, you know, consumerized, but also that personal feel between that organization and their end users. One final note on the visual element that users commonly overpass or forget is that these categories that you set up or if you are looking at it visually, they're like block tiles that users can click to access more content. You can actually configure that to be one of two rendering. One is your standard click of a category that brings you to the items in that category. The other, however, if you choose the list of items within that category, you can actually show at that upper level on the service catalog or a homepage, that list of items that would be in that category right at that top level listed. And a final trick there is that you can actually remove the border on that tile, which in some cases does make for a more modern and cleaner looking UI. And that's done by just simply pressing on the cog icon on that category when you're looking at it in the service catalog and editing it so that you remove the border. All right, let me ask, what are some issues customers might run into with the service catalog? How would they go about troubleshooting that? 
two issues that I've seen too many, unfortunately, to count customers run into. And, you know, I'll put issues in quotes, if you will, because product is working as intended. It's just a lot of times you as the customer, you're unaware of why it's behaving a certain way. So the first one of these quote unquote issues is that you create a catalog category and you place that category onto a homepage and it's there. You refresh the page and all of a sudden your category vanishes and you have no idea why. Well, the reason is, is that that category that you create, it has to have one or more active child items or record producers. So if you have just an empty category or a category full of inactive items, our system is optimized not to render that category because it provides no value to the end user. That's the first issue. The second one is sometimes when you're configuring your service catalog, your self-service homepage with the items that you're offering users, you add a new image, but you go back to look at that image on the homepage and it's your old image and you're wondering, where did my new image go? Well, that's just our system caching to, again, optimize on the performance. If you just go into your navigator and you type cache.do and you press enter, that'll clear your system's system cache and items like those service catalog images will be reloaded and it'll immediately reflect the new ones that you uploaded. Okay, thanks. That sounds like a couple of handy tricks. All right, let's talk about asset and configuration management. Can you tell us what it is and how users will go about configuring it? Sure. So underlying to really most help desk organizations is what we refer to as the CMDB or configuration management database. So in Express, we have this asset and configuration management application that really houses these CMDB records, things like your computers, your servers, the software running on them, and so on. Users are importing data in, they're filling out those records, they're using our own discovery solution to automatically bring all that data in. But a lot of users also have been asking for things such as barcode scanning or even more advanced features such as, you know, enforcing uniqueness on fields, such as common sense, you know, an asset tag, you wouldn't want two assets with the same tag in your system. Now, the great part with both those points is our Istanbul release does include upgrades to the dictionary on forms. So we have a video covering dictionaries and in there we actually cover these concepts in that on the dictionary there's a field called unique. You can set that to true on a field and then any value in the future that is put in has to be unique on that field. Another example of that is attributes that we've added in Istanbul. One of those attributes that you'll be able to set on the dictionary is barcode scanning. So you can open up that CI record on mobile, you can click into that asset tag or serial number, whatever it may be field, press if you've enabled barcode scanning, that little scanner that comes up, actually scan, hopefully you've got you know a barcode to scan on that asset, you scan it and it'll be read right into that field. So those are two great features that are coming up. Even today though, if we just talk about some great things with ASIN configuration, it's that seamless integration with the rest of the platform, incident, problem, change. Core meaning is the business service maps. So you have, let's say, an email business service. It's consistent of exchange servers, underlying databases, a front-end client perhaps, and these are all related in delivering the user the email experience. Now, with the CMDB, with our ASIN configuration here in Express, you can create business service maps that link all those elements together. So when you're making a change request, you can say, hey, this change is on. 
this given asset exchange server and immediately visualize what are my upstream and downstream dependencies. And that's a big thing about change is reducing risk in the organization. So when you're making the change, you as a technician can be aware that, ooh, this exchange server I was about to reboot, it is core to my email service. Maybe I want to send out a, you know, a warning or better yet, do it on an off hour. One final piece I'll mention there is that concept of that relationship again of here's our CMDB and Express, but really it's core to incident problem change these other applications. And you can easily view that linking by simply right clicking on, let's say, a computer form, going to configure related list from the header, and then adding these related lists that link this configuration item to any incident it's been referred to or any problem it's in or any change it's in. So you can easily understand the context around what's going on with that asset in your environment. Okay, thanks. That sounds like a pretty helpful tip there. Now, we usually do a section on integrations and plugins, and I know reporting really isn't either of those things, but it does interact with many parts of the platform, right? Can you talk a little bit about how reporting works in Express and what we can expect from those videos? I sure can, Steve. And let me tell you about the time when I interviewed with ServiceNow, actually. I remember I saw the product for the first time. And really, out of everything that was shown to me, the one thing that does resonate, and I think it's for most cases with everyone, is the dashboards and the reporting. Because they're very visual, they're very easy to consume, and they're relatable in terms of what's actually going on. Because you, in most cases, have a standard bar or a pie, you know, as we're used to. But that's kind of the piece that I'm going to be touching on now is the fact that so many of our customers, they like, you know, to be conservative and to stick with those reports that they know, which is the bar and the pie, maybe the list, you know, here and there. But the reality of the fact is that with Express, you know, we know it's point and click reporting. So there's really no SQL statements that need to be done. There's no complexity around it. And yet users are not adopting the really the myriad of reporting options that are out there. Some examples that I've covered in other blog posts recently is items like a control chart, which is used in statistical process control to see if a certain count is hitting a number of standard deviations past the mean. Maybe you could do it for incidents by category and make sure that you're having a correct level, there's no spikes and so on. Other examples when we talk about more statistically driven reports are items like histograms, taking into account a bit of the time element, or on top of that, box plots, actually plotting your quartile one, your quartile three, the median, the mode, seeing outliers, easily distinguishable. This takes your reports, such as incidents assigned to technician from a simple bar of 20 in a given month, to a nice box plot where you can actually see, ah, it's not 20, that's a good job, it's 10, and I had 10 on a outlier here for the one month, and I really shouldn't be giving this employee a bonus, for example. So those are some of the core concepts, really, that in reporting, I advise everyone to invest the time to, you know, play around with, really, in the instance. Pick those different report types. In our last release, we added items like a, you know, a global map. We added items such as single bar counters and other items to just simply visualize that data that you have in the system. And at the end of the day, that's the great part about reporting in Express, in ServiceNow, is the fact that since you're using a single system of record, all the data is already there in one place. You don't need to normalize, you don't need to integrate, you don't need to do all this, you know, things that with legacy systems I've in the past had to do. And the final piece why it's so nice is you can then relate the data. 
Okay, great. Thank you very much. That adds a lot to the content that's provided in the videos and the other information. Now, as long as we have you here, I wonder if you could help out with a question that we had from a user. In the ServiceNow Express forums, Sadie Y asked, When configuring the identity provider for single sign-on, what is the difference between the default and primary choices? Can you help Sadie with that? I definitely can. So what Sadie's talking about is, came out in our HealthSync release, it's this concept of single sign-on, two instances. So let me broaden the scope of that question with some background and talk about, first of all, what are the options of a user to authenticate into an instance? You know, as an admin, what can you configure or set up? And there's really three options that you have in front of you. The first one is using what Sadie is touching on, which is the single sign-on, which is most likely done through something such as SAML. So you can do a SAML integration, or you can use LDAP and actually connect to your LDAP server to pull user information, do user provisioning. And there's a third option, which is using Okta, one of our partners. And let me quickly touch on some of the pros and cons of each option. So SAML, SAML is used commonly in ADFS type environments, and it basically allows a user to put in their credentials, it'll send those credentials, and it'll come back with a, you know, pass-fail response of, can this user get in? Now, on top of that, SAML, you can also enable user provisioning in Express, meaning if that user puts in their username, their password, it sends the query over to where they are checking against, and it comes back as true, and that user is not yet a user record in the system. If you've selected user provisioning from the SAML integration to true, it'll actually then create the user account from any of the data provided from the response from the SAML response. Now, there's a key difference here between that SAML interaction, which is a user logging in, then getting created, versus the LDAP interaction. So with LDAP, when you're integrating with the server, you're immediately pulling all the user information that matches the specific OU queries that you've put in. So this means that you don't have to count on all your users logging in for them to get created in the system. They can immediately all be in the system day one that you do that integration. Now, the last difference, however, between those previous two, SAML and LDAP, and this third option, which is Okta, relies within the agent that they offer. So if you're using our LDAP or if you're using the SAML, you're going to need to have the connection open, so to speak, although it's still encrypted, still secure. A lot of organizations from a security standpoint, they don't prefer that approach. They'd like something that lives in their environment and that is talking outbound only, you know, no real inbound, if we will. And Okta does offer that through an agent. So with Okta, you can deploy that agent on your AD server, your LDAP server, and you can have that same user provisioning. Now, the con, of course, is that you can't access as many fields. There's a static number of fields Okta lets you map to, whereas with SAML or LDAP, you could pick a lot more fields. Talking about the pros, with LDAP, you can do things like group and manager mapping. With Okta, you can do group and manager mapping but with SAML, it's a little bit more difficult. You can't do that manager and group mapping. So getting back, though, to Sadie's question at hand, which was, I'm setting up this SSO. What's the difference between default and primary on that interface? So when you've defined that SSO integration, be it in this case, a SAML, the active versus primary, or better said, the default versus primary, affects the user experience. When you set something to be the primary SSO, when you actually enable SSO in your instance and you have a primary, when users type your instance in, you know, to the URL and they press enter, 
they will be automatically redirected to that SSO provider. You know, it could be, maybe it's Windows, maybe it's Okta, whoever it could, may be. On the other hand, if you set it to default, this really just means if you have three, four different LDAP stores configured or different places to check for your authentication, the default one is the first one the system will check as it goes down the list. So that's more of an efficiency thing. If most of your users are in one authentication store, you're gonna wanna set that one to the default. And the one that your users should be logging into, you also wanna make it primary. So it's that seamless experience of hitting the instance, logging in from your provider, being put into the instance. Darius, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. I think this will really be helpful for our listeners. I wanted to let people know that these new videos and other information on configuration, it's all available now at express.servicenow.com forward slash support. Just click documentation and then click start here. Now, Darius, is there any other type of information resource that listeners might want to look at? Absolutely. So that support site that you mentioned, this really as an Express customer is your gateway to information. So what we recently invested in with these videos that you find at the start here section of documentation phenomenal resource. But in addition to that, there's other resources such as the blogs, which are written tutorials that I've mentioned a few here on today's discussion, covering how to implement the system, as well as videos, which will cover the new features also coming up in future releases like our newly released Istanbul release. So really a great site to check out. Okay, that's wonderful. Thank you very much. Well, that's all for today. For more information, please consult our documentation or blogs or ask a question in the ServiceNow Express forums. Thanks for listening.